if you suffer from anxiety, you understand what I mean. Like you kind of always run with this like buzz under your skin, like something's going to go wrong. And when you take these pills, that buzz goes away and you feel kind of mellow and baseline. And I kind of started to really, really enjoy that feeling, which I didn't like. I don't like being dependent on anything and being dependent on something like that scares me because people can go down, you can go down the pill route so easily. Like one day you're taking lorazepam, then you're taking oxys, then you're taking Xanax, then you're mixing it all together and taking a cocktail. I'm not that kind of person. I don't like medication. Welcome back to the Esoteric Anomalies podcast. Today's guest is my friend Riley DeVoe. Riley is diagnosed with severe depression, anxiety, and OCD. This episode is a little bit darker than most of my interviews since Riley recaps on trying to commit suicide by overdosing on pills and other severe episodes of panic attacks that are almost completely out of his control. We go over his medication and supplements he uses to cope with this. Riley is the owner of Trinity for Change, which is a clothing company dedicated to those who suffer from mental illness, in which 25% of the profits goes towards research for alternative treatments for mental health. If this is something you want to support, that information is left in the show notes below. Here's Riley DeVoe. Hey guys, welcome back to the Esoteric Anomalies podcast. Uh, I'm here with my buddy Riley in LA. Riley actually has a podcast. The Trinity Mindset Podcast. Trinity Mindset Podcast. Glad we're able to actually get this done. How have you been? Pretty good. How, how did you like uh, San Diego? We were there just yesterday. Which is- Compared to LA, I mean, it's it's beautiful. Like it's completely a completely different experience. I was actually saying it today in one of my videos. I was talking about how um, the main difference I noticed is there's like no smog compared to here like mm-hmm. when you look outside it's clear you can see over the ocean you can see all this stuff and like when you're walking through la if you look up to the mountains it's just like there's like this low haze hanging over everything it's just, yeah it's a bunch I, of shame yeah <laughs> it's dirty like, as, i like la don't get me wrong but it's a dirty city like, oh, absolutely it's grimy yeah i mean at least there's a there's a chinatown which is like okay it's really small yeah it's a small like Asia, really yeah. small like like san francisco i was in san francisco last week and san yeah, francisco's chinatown oh it's so cool yeah have it's you been awesome. to chicago's no, I, when I was in Chicago, I had that whole issue with my car breaking down. So like I never got, did I tell you that story? No. So I drove to Chicago from Toronto and my car broke down in Southside. Oh, okay. And like, I basically had to like get a tow truck and like get the hell out of there. And the guy who picked me up in the Uber was like, you should not be in this part of town. I was like, oh, it's a all right. Bad side of town. Oh yeah, it was awful. Awful. Like I was probably the only person within like 15 miles without a neck tattoo. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to die here. <laughs> like, but, uh, I never got to go to Chinatown because I was like, my whole plan was to drive there and park and walk around and stuff. And I was like, I'm sure you've been to uh, New York's plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Manhattan. I've never been to like Queens or Brooklyn, which is on my list. I'm saying uh, the Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. There's well, there's Chinatown in Man- in Manhattan. There's a Chinatown in Brooklyn. There's a Chinatown in Queens. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. How was the one that you went to? That's uh, Canal Street, like Chinatown, Manhattan. It's mm. it's, it's really cool. It, it's big. I mean, Kendall showed me around our mutual friend, the Flexible Foodie, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really dope. Uh, it's a it's it's like its own little world. That's what I like about Chinatown. Is like it kind of seems like they exist in their own situation like half the people like literally don't speak english and they yeah. just they don't need to because everybody speaks either mandarin or cantonese mm-hmm. which is cool yeah the, the reason i'm interested like i love chinese food i'm obviously like or i'm not obviously half chinese people <laughs> think i'm full-on hispanic even right. my mexican friends which is really funny but yeah i just want to, to touch on that i, I love food yeah and, LA, so and like, you know my feelings on chinese food so <laughs> yeah we're gonna pick out either like night or tomorrow but you say you're ready dude drew took me to chinatown and we went to this like legit hawker stall and he was like i'm sure the chill oil is fine i'm sure these pickled jalapenos are fine and like my stomach is just wrecked now so we'll figure something out tomorrow i know you're hungry but uh i don't i don't know if i can eat tonight (laughs) (laughs) all right uh let's get into uh what you're about Um, yeah for sure you have trinity for change people don't know exactly what that is and they don't know your background either with like depression right let's let's get into your life story i think the start the easiest way to start that off is to tell like the beginning from when i was diagnosed so when i was 13 i was diagnosed with dyspnea depression ocd and panic disorder 
Um, dyslipidemia depression means low grade continual depression. So it's something that comes kind of every day, but it's not to the point where it's normally debilitating. I do have waves and, uh, stretches of time where it is, but normally I can kind of function. Um, I have OCD, which for me, it's when things are planned out and like small changes happen, um, it can really throw me into my second or my third diagnosis, which is panic disorder. I get severe panic attacks, um, like really, really, really bad anxiety attacks to the point where I black out and uh, I'll have basically like, I, I become like a sobbing mess as, as, as weird as that sounds. And as interesting is for me to say, um, if you meet me uh, for anybody who doesn't know me, I have tattoos. I'm a relatively big guy. I'm covered in piercings. I'm not the type of person that you would normally see lying on the ground crying, but it, it happens, especially when things uh, in my schedule change. So I was 13. All of these things were happening to me. I had no idea what I was doing. And I tried to overdose on pills, um, which led to my diagnosis and led to the eventual downfall, I guess, of my life for a while until I kind of got myself together. When you tried to OD, was that to kill yourself? Yeah, it was okay. straight up to kill myself. What, and it wasn't kind of because... What kind of medication? Uh, it was a cocktail. So I just kind of took whatever was in the uh, medicine cabinets. I took... Mm-hmm. Um, there was a bunch of Percocets in there. There was a bunch of Tylenol, a bunch of like Advil, a bunch of sleeping pills. Did like you purge just, or did you... Uh, I actually like... So what happened is, is I downed the bottle and I got about halfway down because I put everything into a cup, like mm-hmm. one of those like bathroom cups. And then I just threw everything back. And like as it was going down my throat... I kind of, it's not that I realized that like, I I didn't have like some crazy revelation where I was like, oh, I don't want, but I got really, really scared because I was 13. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, do I really want to die? And I ended up actually vomiting and throwing up and uh, just kind of convulsing on the floor and like laying there. So I I guess, I don't know how to explain it. When everybody, anybody asks me, I like, I I attempted suicide. I, I never like was in the hospital. I never went to like that extent. I had just like downed half a bottle of pills and ended up throwing them back up mm-hmm. um for me still the most <laughs> i mean not to take away from anybody who was actually hospitalized but for me that was pretty much my rock did you bottom. keep that to yourself or did your parents um i actually told my parents that's when i first went to therapy so they found me because i hit the ground really hard and i was like sobbing in the bathroom and stuff like that and they were like what happened and i i, I played it off kind of as nothing as like i wasn't doing what they thought i was doing they thought i was just having like some sort of mental breakdown it didn't really Sorry, this is kind of hard for me to talk about. Um, it didn't really register with them until much later. Um, even now when I tell the story, they, they they remember the situation, but they don't remember it as a suicide attempt because obviously they weren't really clear with what was going on. Yeah. And it wasn't like I had cut my wrists or it wasn't like I had tried to hang myself. It wasn't something that was blatantly obvious. Mm-hmm. So now they're like, okay, we should have saw it. We should have saw the warning signs. We should have known. So they just thought I was having like a really rough breakdown, which is what led them to take me to therapy. And that was the first of many, many, many therapists. What triggered that particular event? Um, so that was actually brought on by a lot of of panic attacks in concession and then a depressive episode. So I started having the panic attacks. Um, my grandmother died when I was 13 and I don't think that that's obviously not what caused it. It was just a situation that I think was the jumping off point for my mental health issues. Um, I was really close to her. Her name's tattooed on my arm. She was my primary caregiver for a lot of years. And when we went through that whole situation, I realized that as everybody else kind of started to come out of the sadness and like live with the fact that she was gone. Mine never went away and it wasn't about her anymore. It was just this overwhelming, like gray, dark cloud that kind of followed me around and I didn't understand it. And for about a year this happened. And then all of a sudden the panic attacks started. And when I say panic attacks, now people have a very different view of what that is. A lot of people see it in a different way. Mm -hmm. So some people look at a panic attack and say, Oh, like they're just freaking out. Or when I have a panic attack, it's 
to the point where I'm gone. Like I'm not even in my body anymore. Like you could be sitting here talking to me and I wouldn't register that you were even here. Mm-hmm. I'm completely gone. Uh, for example, I was in Vegas um, about a month ago and had a full-blown panic attack. And that whole like four-hour block is gone. I don't remember any of it. According to my girlfriend, um, we were at dinner the and I started- panic attack last four hours? Yeah. Like I was gone. I, I've lost four hours of memory. Like I don't know if the actual pan- So for what she said and what was described to me, she said, you started being a dick, which- I remember that 100%. We were sitting at dinner and I couldn't swallow, um, which it's not like a normal thing for me, obviously. Like I physically couldn't swallow. I thought I was having an allergic reaction and uh, I couldn't swallow, couldn't swallow. I was eating and I was snapping at people and they were asking me what was wrong and what was going on. And I was like, well, I I think I'm having an allergic reaction. Like I need you to take me to the hospital. And then the, the night goes blank. So apparently what happened is I got up and I started walking out of the restaurant and my girlfriend followed me. My girlfriend's name is Bella, by the way. And she was, I don't know, that's not relevant to the story. It's just for everybody. I'm going to refer to her as Bella from now on. So Bella grabbed me when I was walking out of the restaurant. She goes, are you okay? I was already crying. I couldn't understand what was going on. Um, she said I wasn't even making sense. I was just rambling about, I'm having an allergic reaction. I need you to take me to the hospital. I, I don't go, I don't know what's happening. I'm scared. I can't breathe. And then I fell over. Um, I was like kind of convulsing and like freaking out. And then I got up and I was like, I'm having an anxiety attack. So I guess it clicked in at some point in my subconscious or something like that. Again, I don't remember any of this. I ran to the bathroom. Um, my dad followed me in and he tells the story of, I was in the stall. The door was open, but I was crouched over the toilet, like looking like I was going to throw up. Um, and then I just stayed there and I didn't say a word for the next like 30 minutes. I just cried over and over and over and over again. And then they got me back to the hotel. I laid at the bottom of the bed and then I woke up. Like the next morning, I don't remember anything else. Do you know what triggered that? Like, what I, triggered here's you? my thought process behind this one. Um, I was in Europe for a month prior to that backpacking and I had no anxiety issues. I don't fly well at all. Um, it's a mixture of lack of control, uh, small and close space, and I'm afraid of heights. And I think that flying from all over Europe, we were taking all these small planes. I was, I was kind of avoiding dealing with the situation of how freaked out I was about it. And then we flew from Paris to Vegas and it was like a 12 hour flight. It was horrible turbulence the entire time. My entire body was tense the entire time. We landed, didn't sleep, went to dinner, and then it happened. Um, I kind of related to that. I think that in that sense, it was just an overwhelming kind of accumulation of, of like, general anxiety that led into that anxiety attack so when those situations arise is there medication that you take or do you just have to let it pass so i've been prescribed a uh, lorazepam um and ativan uh which i don't know if they're the same thing um i've kind of used the words interchangeably because i'm not super like i'm not really big in the medication side of things because when i was originally diagnosed the doctor was basically like hey here's what you're going to be taking um come back in three months if it doesn't work or try something else and i was like well fuck like that's not really going to help me, right? Like that's not really going to be something that I can do for the rest of my life. You, you can't just come in and throw a cocktail at me and see if it works, especially when the side effects on some of these medications are things like suicide, like suicidal thoughts, or this may make you worse, or this may make you this, or this may make your anxiety flare up, or like just things that like you're basically taking the medication for. And it's like, well, fuck that. So I, 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 I kind of didn't go down that path. But either way, um, when I was having anxiety attacks, my mom would either give me lorazepam or Ativan. I don't know if one of them, I don't know if they're like, different things. That's just what she would always give me. Um, but I ended up becoming kind of dependent on it. So there was a point where I was having anxiety attacks a lot. And every time I would do it, I would take it, but I would have to kind of up my dose every time because it wouldn't hit me as much because like I said, they're very severe anxiety attacks. Mm -hmm. And for me, it got to the point where I was kind of just taking them like all the time and just like enjoying the feeling they give you. Because let's be honest, if anybody's ever taken any kind of like anxiety medication, you've taken a Xanax or anything like that it can be an addicting feeling. It's very numbing and calm and you feel, 
almost normal. And I hate using that word, but if you suffer from anxiety, you understand what I mean. Like you kind of always run with this like buzz under your skin, like something's going to go wrong. And when you take these pills, that buzz goes away and you feel kind of mellow and, and baseline. And I kind of started to really, really enjoy that feeling, which I didn't like. I don't like being dependent on anything and being dependent on something like that scares me because people can go down, you can go down the pill route so easily. Like one day you're taking lorazepam, then you're taking oxys, then you're taking Xanax, then you're mixing it all together and taking a cocktail. I'm not that kind of person. I don't like medication. So that was my original plan. Um, I will take it if I catch the anxiety attack early enough and I know that it's really, really bad. But other than that, no, I don't take it. I just kind of wait for it to pass. And like I said, I don't really know. Like for this one, especially I, I, there was no time to take any kind of medication because it came on so quickly and I just blacked out. So this happens at random, right? Yeah. Um, like there are certain things that trigger me. Like I said, change. I do have OCD. When people think of OCD, often they think of things like turning the lights off and on three times or like, you know, tapping on things. Uh, for me, everything has to be done in threes. Um, not many people notice it. Um, if I tap something or if somebody says, Oh, knock on wood. And like, I'll tap something three times. That's like the lower end of my OCD, the higher end. If I plan something out, and something changes mm-hmm. like for you today um your train was delayed yeah if that happens to me that can seriously like trigger an anxiety attack easily like it, it can throw me completely off which right now level-headedly i know is stupid i know it's illogical i know it doesn't make sense but my brain doesn't work like that so something like that'll happen or we'll be going to dinner and all of a sudden bella will text me and be like hey we're going here instead of here and it fucking like throws me for a loop completely and yeah it can trigger an anxiety attack really easily I want to get into uh, a little bit more about depression. Yeah. Are you taking medication for that? No. So depression is something in the past, right? Depression is something I never took medication for. Oh, interesting. Um, they originally told me these are the medications you were going to take. Um, I went through this big issue where I thought I was going to be put in a, like a, a mental asylum. Um, not because anybody told me that, but when I was first diagnosed, I was 13. Mm-hmm. I had no idea anything about any of this and I had nobody to talk to. Nobody I knew in my life had any idea. My parents were pretty, they were supportive, but they really didn't, I don't want to say didn't believe in mental illness, but they didn't really know how to deal with it. Like they'd never known anybody with any of these issues. And then to have your own kid thrown at you with this is it's hard. So the doctor was like, Hey, this is what you're going to be taking. Um, I don't even remember what they just prescribed me right away, but I basically said, no, I told my parents I'm not crazy. I don't need crazy pills. I don't need to go into a hospital. I don't need to be put. My only response was I don't want to be put in a straitjacket and put in a padded room. That's what I thought genuinely thought. And I had a big fear of that for a long time. So I never actually took anything from the ages of about 14 to 17, 18. I had a very, no, actually about 19. I had a very, very, very hard battle with depression where for weeks at a time, and like I said, I have dysthymia depression. So it's always there. It's always just under the skin. It's always just kind of like a low lying gray, but it got to the point where like weeks at a time, I wouldn't get out of bed or I would have seriously aggressive suicidal thoughts where it would be like, I was talking to Sammy Grimm, um, Sammy Marie Grimm, Brian's uh, girlfriend. Brian Turner. Yeah, Brian Turner's girlfriend, who is a fantastic human being. And she was talking about schizophrenic tendencies and hearing voices in your head. And I used to describe this as hearing voices in my head telling me to kill myself. And now since talking to her, I, I've taken that back because it's not actual voices. It's more of this feeling in the back of your head where it's like, you're not worth it. You're never going to be normal. You're never going to feel truly happy. Just end it now. And that thought followed me for a long, long time until I actually found a study by Dr. Rhonda Patrick, which I thought was really cool. I started listening to Joe Rogan when I was about 19. Um, and Dr. Rhonda Patrick brought up the study on sauna and, uh, exposure to sauna at 170 degrees Fahrenheit for over 20 minutes can basically cause the same effects as antidepressants, which last for six weeks post-treatment. So I got to the point now where I sauna when I'm home six days a week. 
six days a week if I can. Sorry, seven days a week if I can, six days a week if I miss one. But that's honestly, and this sounds ridiculous, it's been treating my depression 100%. Like I feel literally 100 times better. Does she explain the mechanism behind it? No. Oh, she does. I'm not smart enough to recant it. Like I'm not smart enough to explain it to you. Um, I can give you the study and you can maybe put it in the show notes because it is... uh, I think it was John Hopkins University, maybe. I'll probably find it. Yeah, you could definitely find it. I think it's actually linked in a bunch of my... Sh- I think it's linked in every single one of my podcasts, so you mm-hmm. can find it in the show notes there. You still suffer from uh, depression now. Yes, I just don't really exhibit symptoms very often, and uh, it's very, very much like under control. Do you think if you had the pills, you would be addicted to it? Is that kind of like... I think that fears? was my fear, um, and that's always been my fear. I have a really addictive so personality. Yes. Okay. That's why I don't take anything. Hmm. But I've, I used to see when I started off, I was very against medica- uh, medication, like very against it, like to the point where I was like, nobody needs to be on medication. You can treat yourself in various ways and all these different ways. And I've come to the point now where like pe- different things work for different people. I know many people now who take medication and function fine. And without that medication, they can't function. Mm-hmm. Um, people who suffer from bipolar disorder, uh, uh, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, things like that. A lot of them need medication. I can treat my, see my anxiety, I can't. My anxiety is not treated. I don't treat my anxiety. I use marijuana and CBD, but I don't treat it. I kind of just put a bandaid on it and make it a little bit better. I truly believe I treat my depression with the sauna um, as best I can. I haven't had a depressive episode now since I've started. That's not true. I've had one depressive episode since I've started saunaing and it only lasted for about two weeks, which is pretty good for me. And my OCD is just my OCD. It's, it's very hard until I get my anxiety under control to get that under control. Should I be on medication for my anxiety? probably do i fear becoming addicted to that medication 100 percent. you're a big fan of uh or a big proponent of marijuana yeah i am <laughs> how often do you smoke uh see everybody says like oh you must smoke every day because i talk about it so much and i, I want it to be legal which it is going to be legal in canada now as of october 17th so that's really cool but i probably smoke three to four days a week so anytime that i'm feeling a little anxious like or i can feel like um i get this tightness in my chest which can go one of two ways. Either I can pull it back and I can kind of deal with it or it can blow up and become something absolutely ridiculous, which is the anxiety attack. I never know which one it's going to be. So anytime it happens, anytime it comes up at all, I smoke and uh, it helps a lot. So what about the edibles? Do you do kind of like the same thing? I prefer edibles, to be honest. Um, smoking sometimes. So one of the triggers of my anxiety, which I think is funny is, and for most people for anxiety, I'm sure that they'll understand this. Uh, everybody I've talked to kind of gets this is it's kind of like a, a negative feedback loop. So you get anxious because you feel anxious and then you feel anxious and it makes you more anxious because you're like, oh my God, I'm anxious. I'm going to have an anxiety attack. So it's kind of like uh, as soon as it starts, it's hard to stop. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. Mm -hmm. So the edibles kind of help because when I smoke, sometimes I'll get that feeling like that tightness in my chest because obviously you're smoking, right? You're inhaling something that's foreign to your body. So I'll get that tightness, which can sometimes, depending on if I do it too much or if I hit something like a bong or something like that and I'm not smoking and I cough, it can make it worse. Like not the actual effect of the marijuana, but the actual effect of the smoking. So the edible kind of negates that. How many milligrams of THC do you actually need to... So for me, I'll do like, I'm a super lightweight when it comes to edibles. And this is very individual. So I don't want to tell anybody like take this much or do anything like that. And obviously you shouldn't take it if it's not legal in your place. Um, Quote unquote, I can't, you know, tell you to take it. But I only take like probably up to like 30 milligrams. Whereas my brother who, uh, you know, recreationally uses it takes like 105 or sorry, 100 to 500. Are you good at differentiating between THC and CBD as far as handling your anxiety? Uh, yeah, I like a higher CBD brand. So I'll use things. Um, the one I was using previously was a mango haze, I think, which was a really high CBD 
I believe that's what it was. And I, I really enjoy that. Um, I find that if I take, so I have a CBD vape and then I have regular marijuana. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I, and I also have CBD gummy bears and then I have regular gummy bears. So if I take something, I think the CBD gummy bears are like 50 milligrams and then the regular gummy bears are like 20 milligrams of THC. So I'll take them together. So it's like 50 milligrams of C- CBD and then 20 milligrams of THC. And I find that offsets some of the anxiety and like paranoia that comes with weed sometimes. Hmm. So THC helps with that too? I- THC is the stoned feeling, like the feeling of kind of like, you know, being down, being high, mm-hmm. like that's the chemical that causes you to actually like experience the psychoactive effects. Right. CBD you brings to down treat anxiety though. Uh, no, I use that to sleep. Okay. I can, you, I can take just CBD. Like I've been smoking that. There's a blue CBD vape sitting right over there. I've been smoking that all day and it, it helps a lot. I feel like CBD brings down like the overall level of anxiety. And mm-hmm. I, again, I don't know the science on CBD specifically. Um, I know the science on weed, but I don't know the science on specifically CBD. I should be more educated on it but i just basically take it because somebody told me that it would help and it did so i i, I kind of take it like that but i can take cbd all day and be fine but i find that if i don't take the thc i don't get the benefits at night like the sleeping benefits and things like that like i don't i can still go to bed and kind of feel that that anxious feeling and the thc helps me fall asleep so what are supplements do you take that'll help you out with either your anxiety and depression i know you have like i was looking at your pills back then, <laughs> yeah so. So I've been messing around with this company, Natural Stacks. Um, I don't, I don't really want to give them a yes or no, like thumbs up, thumbs down yet, because I've only taken one bottle. They, they provide like uh, acetylcholine support, dopamine support, serotonin support, and GABA support, and it's supposed to help with your mental state. Um, again, I can't comment on it because I've only been taking it for a couple of weeks. Haven't really noticed anything yet. I also take ashwagandha, which is an Ayurvedic herb that's been proven to uh, lower cortisol and help with stress and anxiety. Do you take the KSM version? Of like ashwagandha? The, yeah. No, just I just take normal. a I just take a normal herbal supplement. Okay. What's yeah, the KSM? Sure. Uh, the KSM is the one they actually use in research. No, yeah, yeah, yeah I know. And I, or sorry, I don't know. I, I've heard of that. I want to take that one. Um, I'm just finishing off this bottle because I had like a bunch of these like there's natural ones. There's like a big ones. price difference. I actually don't know whether there's like a huge difference between the two. I'd have to look into it. I'm sure if it's the one that they used in studies, I would prefer to use that right, one. Yeah. Um, I know you can buy like ashwagandha as a, I think it's a bark and I'm pretty sure you can buy it like as a herb, like mm-hmm. as a piece and like brew your own like people i know people that brew like tea with it and stuff like that how many which, milligrams of that do you take i uh, take 500 okay 500 to a 500 to a gram because i'll sometimes i'll take two pills if my if my anxiety is getting bad have you noticed that it helped a lot because i actually take ashwagandha pretty much like daily yeah i've noticed it helps a lot like i definitely notice when i'm off it interestingly enough i notice a huge drop in sex drive sorry for tmi but i notice a huge drop in sex drive when i stop taking it mm-hmm. which is a symptom of my depression um i tend to lose sex drive really easily and when i'm taking my ashwagandha it keeps me like normal so Gotcha. Bella enjoys the ashwagandha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, like I thought it was, you know, usually when you, when you start taking some pills, you think that, you know, it could be like placebo, right. but even with like St. John's wort, like yep. almost like immediately after I take it, I'm Feel just it. in a better mood. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah. I think in the research with, with ashwagandha, this may be like an older study. I think it took like six weeks and it showed like anti-depression effects, yeah. which is amazing. Well, the effects it has on cortisol are something that is incredible, which is, it, it's basically, it's classified as an adaptogen. So mm-hmm. if your body needs it, it'll use it, which is why I don't have a problem taking it. Um, obviously, like if you think about the actual act of an adaptogen, if your body doesn't need it, it's not going to do anything. I find for me, it really helps balance me on that level. Like you said, like I notice the effects of it when I'm not taking it. I can tell I'm more angry anxious i'm more irritable mm-hmm. um it's one of my staples for sure um outside of that i take uh magnesium at night for just overall support helps calm me down a little bit um and then 
I take uh, just the, the general stuff like multivitamin uh, fish oil, which I've fallen off of. And uh, creatine has actually been shown. Uh, they're showing new studies that have shown that it's starting to help. Um, what was it? Uh, BDNF and brain derived neurotropic factor mm-hmm. and things like that, uh, especially in people who are lower on the protein scale. So people like vegans and things like that. So that's pretty cool. And then I also supplement with a lot of mushrooms, a lot of mushrooms, different mushroom extracts and things like that. So you take that on top of your uh, four sigmatic. Yeah. So the four sigmatic, um, I'm not going to hide that four sigmatic. I work with four sigmatic. I'm an affiliate with them and I, I, I genuinely love their stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make it all sales pitchy and shit. So I'm not going to say anything about that, but I've been using their stuff for a long time and I finally reached out to them um, and we work together now. So if he comes off as sales pitchy, whatever, you don't have to use Four Sigmatic. Mm-hmm. Use whatever mushroom brand you can get to. I just know that they use the whole, just look for the whole fruiting body to be used in the process because that's what you really want. But I find that um, when I combine Rishi and ashwagandha, I get like a really good mellow and weed actually. Um, and I get a really good mellow, like at night kind of brick come down. And then also, um, what was the last one that I was using that was really helping? It was, uh, the lion's mane. I really enjoy the lion's mane. I think that that, and that might be placebo, but <laughs> I kind of convinced myself that it really helps make my brain work better in mm-hmm. a sense of like helping with my OCD. Yeah. So you that know. one I was kind of skeptical on cause I wanted to add more to, to my stack. Yeah. But when I was looking into the research for for mushrooms, they couldn't like pinpoint yeah. a specific dosage. So, so what I've been doing lately with, or the, what got me into lion's mane specifically is um, Paul Stamets was talking about microdosing psilocybin and using um, lion's mane along with that to increase BDNF, um, which he says they're doing research now on using that stack to combat uh, dementia, which is like very prevalent in my family and scares the fuck out of me if I'm being honest. Like the idea that my body could work, but my brain could be basically mush really, really scares me. So I started taking it just as kind of a fail safe. So I can't really speak on anything like that. I take about 1.5 grams a day is what I take right now. And I don't know, like I said, I feel better taking it, but it might just be placebo on that. So So at the beginning of this interview, we were talking about your new business, Trinity for Change. And you were talking about anxiety and depression. And how do you incorporate that with Trinity for Change? So Trinity for Change started off as a public speaking company. Um, In order to properly tell the story, I have to tell you that my parents broke up a couple years ago. And that was really, really tough on me. And somebody was asking me how I felt about it. And I started telling them the story. And I said, in order to properly tell you how this affects me, I have to tell you my mental health story. And I told them basically the story that I just told you, the story about suicide, the story about the pills, the story about my struggle with depression, anxiety, OCD, all of that stuff. And my dad heard me telling this story and he said, have you ever told that to anybody? And I said, no, I've like talked about it to like friends and you guys and whatever. And he's like, no, but have you ever like told it as a, as a story, as a, as a way that people could connect to? And I was like, no. And he goes, you should. So I contacted my friend Forrest and he actually filmed this video for me, which is still up, I think on my YouTube channel. Um, it's called, I am not my mental illness. And it's literally about how I'm not my depression. I'm not my anxiety. I'm not my OCD. I'm something completely different. I'm a, I'm a human being that happens to have all these things. I am not what, you know, the doctors want to describe as, oh, you have, you are depressed or you have anxiety or you, it's like, I'm, I'm more than that. I'm bigger than that. And I'm beyond that. And that was kind of what started the whole message. People started messaging me saying, you need to tell the story here. You need to tell the story at this university. And I ended up getting invited to Laurier. Um, Laurier is a university in Waterloo, which is in Kitchener, I think Kitchener, Waterloo, Canada. And it's like one of the, the leading mental health communities in the university scene in Canada. And I was like, okay. So I went out there and I told my story to a bunch of kids and, uh, they invited me back and I did it again. And then other schools started inviting me. So 
people were like bringing me out to these schools to tell my story and talk to kids and, and be the voice that I guess isn't really out there. Cause if you look back five years, nobody was talking about mental health. Suicide was still super taboo. Half the people that I talked to didn't believe depression was a real thing. Like we've come very far in five years and I've been kind of able to ride that and tell my story along that line and really be a part of that growth. So as I was doing this and as I was telling these stories and as I was being involved in this, people were like, Hey, we really want to support you. How can we do that? And I was like, well, I, I don't know. Like, what, what, <laughs> what do you mean? I had no idea of running a business. I, this wasn't going to be like a thing I was going to do as a job. And I was like, fuck it. I was like, I like to be creative. I was like, let's start a clothing company. And at the time I had gone to Tur- or I'd gone to New York and I was wearing this red beanie that I found at some thrift store. Like it was just some knockoff red beanie. And I was like, I really like this, but it's like falling apart and it's kind of raggedy. And I honestly think it was Kendall who I've already mentioned in this podcast before that was like, you should just like make your own. And I was like, I should make my own. That's awesome. I, think I remember the red beanie too. Yeah. You remember the one that I was, I would like, it would like sit down over my eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. It was like super re- beat up and raggedy. I think I still have it. And that became the original Trinity beanie. And uh, we went along these slouch beanies and that's kind of where we first went with the whole like thing. And I was like, well, I don't want to a beanie for my American audience. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a toque. Let's be honest, but I, I don't want to confuse anybody. Um, so I started doing that and then I was like, well, I don't just want to sell clothes. Like I'm not just going to take a paycheck out of this. And I want to make it clear for everybody who's listening. I have not taken Trinity for change has been a company, a clothing company for a year. And I've not taken a paycheck because I've had to go along the lines of being on point with my company and I have to kind of make the donations before. So people keep asking me, they're like, oh, when are you donating? When are you donating? We donate every year. We just haven't gotten to the goal, which I'll talk about in a second. So I was doing this company and I was like, I don't want to just be another clothing company. I was like, I want to do something. So I made the mission statement right off the bat. 25% of our profits will go towards alternative research for mental health. As I said earlier in this podcast, I'm not a big fan of medication. I think it's overutilized. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't think that it's necessary. Not that I don't think that people don't need it. People definitely do. I know many people who use it and use it well. But I think that as soon as you come in and somebody says you have depression or you have this or you have this, they're like, here's a list of pills you're going to take. And it's like, fuck, that's not the right way to do this. There's so many other things we can look at first. Look at me. Have you ever been criticized for trying to give medical advice though? Yes, but I don't give medical advice. Even though people love to say that I do. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would assume they do since yeah. you're talking about like yeah. medications. But I premise everything with saying this is what works for me. I'm not saying it works for you. That's why I said there's people out there who need medication because it's true. There are people that need medication. I'm not... I'm not... What's the word I'm looking for? I'm not within qualified? my scope of practice. Yeah. I'm not qualified to tell you what to take or tell you what not to take. All I can say is what I've done and what's worked for me. Mm-hmm. So... Trinity for Change is dedicated 25% of our total profits to researching alternative methods for treating mental health. What that means is I want to fund studies on ways we can treat mental illness without using medication. So I want to fund studies on the sauna, which we've done, but I would like to recreate that study and make it a little bit more updated. I want to fund studies on fasting, which I can get into that story in a little bit. There was a study done um, on the reduction in overall overall total body inflammation in in ter- in regards sorry in something i'm not a scientist um after long-term fasting so basically it was like the level of i think it was increased again you'd know more about this stuff than i was it was different types of things that were like uh precursors not precursors what's the word i'm looking I get for what you're saying. yeah so things in your body that say that you're inflamed they were brought down when you fast. And I was like thinking about that and I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll try it. So I fasted for 72 hours. After that uh, fast, I had no symptoms of anxiety for three weeks. Like no symptoms of anxiety. I haven't had no symptoms of anxiety since I was 13 years old. Now, obviously that's completely anecdotal. That's not why I was fasting. I was fasting to actually fix Have my stomach. Have you tried another 72 hour fast after that? Yes, and I had no symptoms for three and a half weeks, but 
Um, I found out that I have like an intolerance to sucralose, which I'm not going to get into the sucralose conversation. I know most people handle it fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying personally, sucralose like spikes my anxiety like crazy. I don't know why. You drink a lot of coffee though. Yeah, I don't uh, drink do any. Think, what? I don't. Sorry, I was saying I don't drink any sucralose. Um, what was your question? Oh, I was saying uh, w- with coffee, do you feel that in- triggers your anxiety attacks too? No, caffeine like alone doesn't trigger my anxiety at all. Uh, today I've had eight cups of coffee. I did a coffee tour for my YouTube channel, um, mm-hmm. Best Coffee in LA, and I've literally had eight cups of coffee today, and I feel fine. Have you tried to wean off coffee to see if that's Yeah, like- I've taken, um, my longest I've taken off coffee is two and a half months, hmm. like no caffeine, and it didn't have any like effect on my anxiety. Really? And not depression either? Nope. Not th- Actually, you know what? I never really looked into the depression. I never like made that a correlation. I was mostly looking at my anxiety. I'd like to go off again. Uh-huh. Um, I definitely need to because I'm, I'm up at like 600 to 700 milligrams of caffeine a day right now. So I kind of need to That's take it off. That's interesting because like I, when I tried to wean off caffeine, I wouldn't say it was like depression, but yeah. I definitely felt lower. Oh, when you, when it, it's, it's proven that you'll have like withdrawal symptoms very similar to going off cigarettes or going off anything that's addicting, right? Caffeine is an addictive mm-hmm. substance at its core. So I mean, it doesn't, it makes sense to me that if you go off of it, it would cause those issues. But f- interestingly enough, when I fasted for 72 hours, I never had any of the withdrawal symptoms from the caffeine because I didn't have the caffeine for about a week after. And but I never had any of the issues. Pills during the- no, I took nothing during the fast. I took just water. So that's something, but what I'm saying, like getting back to my original point, that's something I would love to recreate. I'm actually looking in and trying to reach out. I know, I think you might know uh, Doc, Dom D'Agostino. Yep. Um, him and his uh, wife actually run, his wife does He's mainly He's going to be on studies. Joe Rogan, by the way. Is he really? With oh, Jordan. yeah. With, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's going to be an interesting podcast because I know they're friends, mm-hmm. but I know they have very, very different views on many, many things. And I know that Dom tends to lean more towards the Joe Rogan side, whereas you know, Lane is all about what Lane's all about. He's like very much like you can eat anything in moderation. And as long as it fits your macros, as long as you hit your fiber, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Whereas Joe Rogan's like sugar is the devil. Never eat it. And you'll be fine. Like, you know what I mean? But yeah, getting back to Dom. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, I got what, off. What's he, uh, what's um, he, bringing up? he was studying, he studies a lot of things on fasting, but his wife actually studies a lot of things on fasting in relation to anxiety. So I'm trying to find a way to kind of get in touch with them. And I, I'm, I want to basically propose that we study a long-term fast and how it physically like relates to anxiety and I want to come up with a lot of factors, a bunch of factors that we can actually test and things like that and make it quantifiable. Because like I said, all I'm working off of now is anecdote and I'm not qualified to do that. Like I'm not qualified to give advice based on that. All I can say is the things that worked for me and I can't make those claims. Like you said, people come at me and they're like, you can't give medical advice. I'm on this and I'm, and it works for me. And it's like, I'm not telling you not to take your medication. I'm just saying there are other things that you should be implementing on top of your medication. Like you have depression. I like say somebody has depression. I have depression. Do you sleep eight hours a night? Like sometimes that can like be a factor and I'm not taking that away from anybody, mm-hmm. but it's like if you have depression and you're taking medication and you're also sleeping two hours a night, it's like that's definitely a factor. You know what I mean? You can't say it's not. You can't say that this lack of sleep is not a factor in your depression because it definitely makes it worse. So there's different things we have to look at before we automatically say this person needs to go on medication and that's kind of what I want to get out of. So Trinity is basically trying to fund a study on right now our main focus is the fasting in relation to anxiety but in the future i'd like to do tons of studies i'd like i would like trinity to basically fund studies every single year on things that relate to mental health what are some other things trinity does that's unique um i would say that our biggest thing is we work with a lot of people like in the uh the fitness industry which sounds weird because i'm not in the fitness industry anymore like i'm not a bodybuilder i'm not a powerlifter i do this thing because i i do fitness because i like it you know what i think i know where you're going with this because i definitely see a lot of depression yeah inside the fitness industry and that's i think where we really <laughs> need it like there's a specific type of person that goes into the fitness industry it's a very lone 
thing. You know what I mean? Like it's very self, you have to be very self-sufficient and it does really fill a void in your life. When you can see your body change or you can see yourself get stronger, or you can do all of these things. It helps that feeling of like, I'm not normal kind of like I, at least for me. And again, I can't talk for anybody else, but half the reason I got into fitness was because I was struggling so heavily with my mental health issues. And when I would get into the gym and I would put my headphones on and I would work and I would see myself change and it just made me feel so good. And I also think that there's something to be said about the endorphins that exercises that exercise produces. I mean, there is like scientific evidence that shows that you increase levels of dopamine in your brain, you increase serotonin, you increase all of these things that are like, oh, I don't have this normally because I have depression, but when I work out, I feel so much better. And it's like, yeah, no shit, because you're increasing all these things in your brain that your brain doesn't make because, and I'm sorry to offend. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But that's the problem is like people can become addicted to it. And not, I'm saying not addicted to exercise. I'm saying addicted to treating their depression and their anxiety with exercise. And it's like, that's why we're trying to work with people in the fitness industry right now, because I see the issues that people have. And I see, and even when I talk to people, like I'm like, oh, there's definitely something wrong there. Like, it's like, you're definitely going down this path for a reason. It's like, you're definitely struggling and people just need to be able to talk about it. And I think that in the fitness industry, now it's really slowly starting where people are being more open about it. But for a long time, it was never talked about. Hmm. Like depression and anxiety was never talked about. And now, I mean, I guess it's kind of following the trend where it's the thing where people on Instagram are like, hey, like I have depression and it's cool. Like I can talk about it, like all this stuff. And it's like, I'm glad it's going down that path. But that's kind of one of the things that we're doing that's unique, I guess. What do you think the solution is for a majority of these people inside fitness? In what way? For treating their depression, like trying to get out of that groove of... I think a lot of the issue, and this is going to piss some people off, but I think a lot of the issue in the fitness industry... Yeah, I think a lot of the fitness industry has an issue with uh, the instant dopamine release of the Instagram world. Like you post a picture and you get a like and it's like, oh, you get a dopamine hit and you get another like and you get a dopamine hit and you get another like and you get a dopamine hit. But you become so desensitized that it almost ends up making your depression worse. Mm -hmm. When I was in my bodybuilding show and I was posting pictures consistently and I was getting like hundreds and hundreds of like right before the um, algorithm, right before the algorithm changed, I was getting hundreds of likes and like all these people were giving me comments and I felt so good about myself and I was shredded. And then the show ended and the algorithm changed and I started to gain a little bit of weight and all of a sudden the likes went under a hundred. And I was like, I'm not like for most people that's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, that's like, dude, it fucked me up so bad. I was like not getting that same feeling. Like I'd log on Instagram and I'd, if a p- post got like 90 likes, I'd be like, oh my God, like this, it literally made me feel sad. Like not sad, like, oh, this sucks. Like sad, like physically sad. Like the same symptoms I felt when I had depression. And I was like, this is so fucked up. Like that this is causing almost my mental health to deteriorate at this rate is like so messed up. And I think that a lot of these people who are in the fitness industry now are feeding off of that fake dopamine release and that, that, that instant gratification that comes from Instagram. And then when it stops, like when something as simple as, Oh, Instagram changed your algorithm and now you're not getting as many likes. Like people are taking nosedives and going like so far into a depressive state where it's like, how did we let it get this far? How did we become so ingrained in Instagram and, and, and the likes and the comments and all of these things that we've like let it take over parts of our mental health. Like that's just so fucked up to me. Mm-hmm. Another problem I see is all the editing that goes into a photo. Oh yeah. 100%. You like extremely like envious or jealous of another person to some people, for example, that may have like a ton of acne. Yep. They can cover that up super easily. Yeah. They can whiten their teeth. They can adjust the lighting to make them look like leaner. Yeah. And then, like you can look at that photo and you're like, kind of like feel bad about yourself. Oh, 100%. But I feel I think one of the problems is that like people aren't willing to accept that those photos are edited. Do you know what I mean? Instagram, if people, if people don't understand this now, I I, I don't have any hope for them. I'm right, sorry, exactly. but I don't know what to say. Instagram is a highlight reel. 
it's not your everyday. I'm not posting pictures where I feel like shit or look mm-hmm. like shit or do any of that stuff. Like I, I'm not posting pictures on when I'm super depressed, laying in bed and like having an actual episode and neither is anybody else. And nobody's posting pictures after they go out and eat. I mean, now it kind of got, it kind of got big for a second where it was like, Oh, this is me, but this is me too. And it's cool. And like, they'd post that like side by side. And mm-hmm. It was like this flexed and unflexed and all that shit. And it's like, I get it, but like at the same time, you're you're doing that for more likes because you're you know that people are want to see that right now. And it's like this little hit of realism in the bullshit that is Instagram is like, oh, now you're relatable again. But then you go back to posting the same edited pictures like you were just talking about, and then people are still feeling bad about themselves. So I don't know. Like you said, I don't know what to say anymore because if they don't understand it now that it's not real life, like I don't I don't know what to say to them. Like you can't. Nobody looks like that all the time. Nobody feels like that all the time. Mm-hmm it's not real like it's just the bottom line it's not real it's a highlight and what's really fucked up is let's say like i didn't know you i saw your page or maybe i do know you but you're traveling all the time you're posting all this fun stuff yeah and then i send you a hateful message yeah but you're already going through all the shit you're going through already you don't know that because exactly (laughs) yeah it makes you feel even worse yeah this happened to me like that's definitely like brought me down right because like i said and i'm not dude i'm not saying like don't do Instagram or don't post good pictures or post shitty shit because nobody wants to see that. But, and I don't want to post that. Like that doesn't make me feel good to put something up like that. Like I don't want to post a picture of myself looking shitty and be like, Oh yeah, I'm having a bad day. Like it's just not the thing, I guess it doesn't make sense to me either. But like you said, like, yeah, you could be going through like your Instagram is filled with pictures of you that, you know, you look like you're doing all this cool stuff, which you are doing all this cool stuff, but your mental state isn't like plastered across it. It's not like, hey, I'm currently feeling really suicidal. Right. Um, be nice to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you on that. Like, it's 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 brutal. Yeah, I mean, like I'll just use not to like brag or anything, but like I create my whole my whole business. Yeah. You know, I have this podcast, which I edit by myself. Yeah. I'll use San Diego, for example. I was on the beach like facetiming clients yeah signing up clients i made a few thousand dollars like doing that yeah. but that's not something i could post yeah I'm, like on my phone you yeah know what i mean so i'm always working even now i try to like show myself working at midnight or yeah. even past midnight to show people that i am working this is how i make money but then they could see like my instagram and see like oh he's he just eats all day yeah he just works out all day which is really funny to me because like working out is what a two-hour activity tops and eating takes 45 minutes like i mean not the way we do it but like it takes 45 minutes in chunks like the thing is if we were to add up our whole story timeline what is that like five minutes of our day oh 100 if if we like max it out yeah like we post a ton no i agree with you and i think that the issue is that because we work the way that we do and i i I would say that i probably work about the same like i'm in the same shoes as you whereas i don't really have like a nine to five like i work when i want but i work probably the same amount of time as somebody who would work a nine to five Mm -hmm. is just spread out a lot more so sometimes i'm working at six in the morning sometimes i'm working at one in the morning like it's just very weird timing And yeah, if you spread it out, like I'm probably doing a lot of boring shit for a majority of the day. But again, I'm not going to post that on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Even like, I guess if you wanted, like if people wanted to see my social media, I could go live for the whole time I was working, but it's going to be really boring watching me sitting in my my, like little home office, fucking typing away at my computer, like doing stuff for the Trinity, like doing Trinity stuff or doing like bank receipts or doing like just the bullshit that comes with running a company, like taxes and shit, like all that stuff that's on the back. You're just like sitting in a chair, just trying to be like innovative. Yeah. And there's, and you're just like sitting there and you're just like, uh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. And that's like 90% of our business because when you work for yourself and nobody else is doing it for you, there's nobody to sit there and be like, do this because this is your job. It's like, oh shit, I have to create. Okay. Well, I'm not creative right now. So I guess I'm going to sit here and try and be creative, which 
dude trying to be creative is like the worst thing ever like you never end up coming up with anything good it's always like when i wake up in the middle of the night i'm like oh like that's a great idea i should write that down and then i write it down and like i wake up in the morning i was like that was terrible but i can work off that and then i work off that but there's nothing where i'm sitting in my room being like oh now i have to be creative okay i'll come up with something good like it just doesn't happen like that i mean if you look back at like all the stuff you had to do all the accumulation leading up to your what you have now yeah it's incredible how many like bits and pieces that oh 100 puzzle it's not just like one there's thing really probably like got you to where you are now trinity's been going for a year now we're mildly successful i would say that um really successful in the local market not so successful online um i took away a little bit of the online focus because as you as you know I don't have a huge presence. Um, Mm -hmm. I have like 6,000 YouTube followers and like 3,000 Instagram followers. Not huge. So I'm not really into the marketing through social media right now. I'm doing a lot of stuff locally. So locally, my stuff's doing really well. Now I'm starting slowly to get into the Instagram, like the YouTube, like we're starting to work with affiliates and things like that. But if I had to redo everything that I had to redo to build my market base in my hometown and Toronto, I, I don't know if I could do it again. Because it had to be to get manufacturers down, taxes set up, my accountants all worked out, all of my warehousing stuff, all of my shipping stuff, just all of the bullshit that sounds like, oh, like that'd be easy. It's probably like tens of thousands of emails back and forth with people. Um, For the first launch, we worked with manufacturers in China, um, not through like Alibaba like that or anything like that. I had a a connection in China and that's who we worked with. And then we went down the whole road of like my dad brought up, I thought everything was gonna be fine. We were going down the road and he was like, "Uh, make sure they don't use child labor. And I'm like, fuck and then i have to go down that whole road so i have to get them to like facetime me and i ended up on this huge facetime call which took like literally i'm not exaggerating probably five hours to get connected and get in the right setting and understand each other and they're facetiming me around their fucking factory and all this shit and like showing me all like the back rooms and stuff like that and i'm like just making sure everything's kosher and like if i had to do and this is all by the way because of the time change this is all at two in the morning Mm -hmm. so going through this whole situation again like i'm thinking back and i'm like what was i doing like and all of this time, I'm learning how to run a business because I didn't go to school. I don't have a degree in this shit. I, have, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. And like thinking back now, I don't know if I could do it again. Like, because it's just like not knowing was almost better. Yeah. yeah. It's really a lot of just like winging it. Yeah. Experience. You're yeah. guessing. That's exactly <laughs> what you're doing. You're taking a blind shot in the dark and being like, fuck, I hope this works. Yeah. And I have made, believe me, more mistakes than you can ever imagine like when it comes to my i've spent money where money did not need to be spent Mm -hmm. i've made dumb mistakes i've ordered crazy amounts of stuff only to get the sample and realize that it's complete garbage and like falls apart and like fuck and then i have like 500 pieces of something i can't use and i'm like well i guess this is all getting donated because i can't do anything with it like nobody's gonna want to buy this all the prints are fucked up and they're falling off and it's like well they're basically just blank shirts so like i guess we're donating them now so like yeah dude it's it's crazy once you think you step back and think about it and you're like fuck but at the end of the day like i don't wouldn't change it like i wouldn't go back to working a nine to five (laughs) like i did that and like it drove me nuts like i was pulling my hair out by the end of it and i was like at least here when i fuck up it's on me Mm -hmm. and i'm the only one who really suffers and it's my fault and i can learn from it when i was working for somebody it was like if i fuck up not only do i screw myself over i screw the next guy i screw his boss and i screw his boss and it's like that always bothered me now i'm in a situation where it's like look I want to fund this research. I want to find alternative ways to treat mental health issues. I want to create this world where people aren't fought, like aren't fucking bogged down by stigma and they aren't dealing with all this stuff alone. And in order to do that, I have to work my ass off and figure it out. And as much as it sounds like I'm being the, oh, woe is me, it's all on me. I'd rather it be on me because then it's under my responsibility to get it done. 
and I'll get it done. I just have to fucking work harder. And doing that and allowing myself to grow and learn and do all these things myself makes me feel a lot better than relying on, like I said, this guy and his boss and his boss and his boss. Amazing note to end on, dude. Great talk. We covered like shit, everything. <laughs> dude, I, on top of having uh, <laughs> this is me, depression, OCD, and panic disorder, I also have ADHD, which I was diagnosed with at 17 by a doctor who I don't, he was like, were you ever chest tested for uh, ADHD? And, and I was Tourette's like, no. Yeah. yeah, I have mild physical Tourette's. Um, I have a tick on my upper eyebrow that kind of comes out every once in a while. Um, he was the same one who diagnosed me with that as well. And he goes, yeah, have you ever been tested for that? And I was like, no. And I asked my dad and he goes, oh yeah, we had you tested for Tourette's when you were a kid. You have mild physical Tourette's. And like, they just never like brought it up ever again. I was like, oh, sweet. that's why I fucking twitch all the time. Thanks for telling me guys. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, what do you have planned for, for LA? So I got a couple podcasts left. Um, if you guys want Trinity for change, uh, Trinity mindset podcast, but I have a couple podcasts left while I'm here and then hopefully me and you are going to get food later. That's the plan. I hope so. I'm fucking starving. <laughs> Dude, you I've been for tomorrow. Did you get hungrier? No, no, no. I feel like shit. <laughs> Damn, man. Well, you did uh, some weed there. Does that like suppress your <laughs> I did, appetite? I did some weed. Um, no, I've just been smoking on you that CBD. <laughs> I've been I've been smoking that CBD vape. All right, man. We're going we're gonna to end it here. I am pretty hungry, so I'm going to find some food. All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. And I'll link your podcast in the show notes. Awesome. This was a blast, man. Where can people find you? So anybody can find me by looking up my name. It's just Riley DeVoe. Most places it's Riley DeVoe with two U's at the end. Um, you can find me at Trinity for Change on Instagram or trinityforchange.com. And you can hit me up on the Trinity Mindset Podcast.